is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811. Hello, 877-381-3811. Tons to cover. Only three hours to do it. Jim Jordan should be the next speaker. He was loyal to the previous speaker. And the previous speaker, he was loyal to because the previous speaker was doing the things that he promised to do. Jim Jordan is a conservative. He's been running the Judiciary Committee quite well. And I think he'd be very, very good. And I want to thank Hakeem Jeffries. I mean, this is the logic now that Matt Gates is using. Yeah, we'll have Jim Jordan. That's better than MacArthur because of me, me, me. No, no, pal. Every Democrat voted to vacate. You colluded with the Marxist party that's destroying our country. And the result is the chair was vacated. Couldn't have been done without Hakeem Jeffries, and you know it. That's why you were conspiring with the Democrats. The squad. The other Marxist reprobates. So don't take credit for that. Now, there's a lot of talk today, this evening. A whole lot about Biden and these 20 miles of wall, and he says, I have to do it. I have to do this. Because they pass this as a matter of law, since it's appropriated for, I can't say no. I want you to listen to this, and I'm going to tell you why exactly he's doing it, because nobody else will tell you. Cut one, go. I'll answer one question on the border wall. The border wall, the money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't. They wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have to use the money for what is appropriate. I can't stop that. Do you believe the border wall works? No. So I have to do this. Because Congress told me I had to do it. Why did he wait? Ah, I'll get to that in a minute. That's the key question that I'll answer. Jean-Pierre at the White House briefing today 
What about these funds appropriated for the wall? Cut three, go. Why does his own Department of Homeland Security secretary say in a public notice, quote, there is presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers? Here's what I can say. I can speak to what the president was very clear in saying and also what you all have been reporting about, uh, about this, uh, uh, this construction. Uh, so the facts are this. Uh, this, uh, this is not new. Uh, these funds were appropriated in fiscal year 2019 under Republican leadership, and DHS is required by law to use the funds for appropriate appropriated purpose. That's what we're seeing. This was announced back in June by the DHS. And so, look, we we believe that there are better effective ways of moving forward to secure our border and security, we, our border security, and we have continuously asked for Congress uh, to act, uh, to provide our CBP, uh, the law enforcement, uh, law enforcement at the border, uh, to give them the resources they need to do their jobs. All right, listen to me. This is very important. So they're saying two things at once. And they do make sense if you're Joe Biden. I don't believe in this border wall, he tells his base. I don't think a border wall works, he tells his base. But all of a sudden... The monies were appropriated, and he says, I can't just ignore this. I have to do this. Why did that light bulb go off, America? I'm going to tell you why. On this radio show that's heard by 14.5 million people nationwide during the course of the week, on Blaze TV, on Levin TV, and on my Fox programs, Life, Liberty, and Levin, This past weekend especially, I laid out that the first impeachment article against Joe Biden should be his failure to uphold Article 4, Section 1 of the United States Constitution. What is that? The full faith. Well, what am I talking about there? The President of the United States not only takes an oath, but he is compelled. He is compelled to comply with statutes that he may even disagree with. Supreme Court has said so on several important and numerous occasions. That the President of the United States might be the President of the United States, but if a law is passed and he doesn't like the law, he still must comply with the law, unless he has some overriding substantive constitutional objection. There is no overriding substantive constitutional objection to the wall. It's a policy objection. I've said behind this microphone, I said on TV, I said to the House Judiciary Committee, not personally, but through these various public platforms. Article 1 in the impeachment of Joe Biden, you don't need any hearings on this issue. He is not upholding his oath of office. He's not upholding the second place where we have it in the Constitution. He is not upholding his requirement to ensure that the laws of the land are executed. He's ignoring these immigration laws. So when Congress appropriated funds for the wall and he blew it off, 
That was an impeachable offense. How many times have I said it, Rich? Thumb blue in the face. Now, apparently the Republicans on Capitol Hill don't hear me. But the lawyers in the White House apparently do. People are shocked at this reverse. What's he doing? This reverse, of course. All of a sudden, it's appropriations. Yes, reverse course. Even our own conservatives on our own conservative networks don't understand what's taking place. And they don't listen to what I'm telling them. The reason why Joe Biden genuflect within a few days is because he realized I was right. I'm not saying he's listening. Others are listening. Although he knows who I am and he's told me he has listened, called me a smart ass. At least he could get that out of his mouth. It's an impeachable offense. You don't even need any more evidence. The evidence is obvious. So what does he do? He starts to try to repair this. Well, they appropriated the funds. Okay. I have no choice. No. But do you support the wall? No. You think it'll work? No. But I have to do it. This was the low-hanging fruit. It was the most obvious, tangible article of impeachment that could have been drawn up. What he has done and is doing on the border. No, he's not in the, he's not scot-free. There's other immigration laws he continues to violate. But this one was obvious. Congress appropriates funds, not once, but twice. Finish the wall. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Then all of a sudden, this week he reverses course. Because they realize, wait a minute. It is an impeachable offense. We don't have to do deep dives into finances and all the rest. We don't need subpoenas. We don't need anything. This is low-hanging fruit. You don't even need an impeachment inquiry. There it is. They're defying the law, and they're saying they're defying the law, and they're letting parts of the wall rust in the desert. They're selling it off as scrap. Okay, great. Send us some more pictures, just more and more evidence of an impeachable offense. Where have the legal analysts been on this? Nowhere. Why? Because if you're a former federal prosecutor, you're focused, like, myopically. Well, you know, document 12.17, section 7341, that's a violation of the Espionage Act. He should have really turned that over. Whoa, 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 whoa. Step back. Now, so the debate is over policy. That's all you're hearing. Over his hypocrisy. Wait a minute. Here's an example. Missing the entire point of why there's hypocrisy. John Berman, as dense as a block of cement on CNN today, he plays clips of Trump and as Biden saying he will not build another foot of the wall. Cut to go. Biden made clear that he would not expand the border wall if elected. Yeah. Oh. Trump campaigned on um, build that wall. Are you willing to tear that wall down? No, I'm, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. The president also said today that um, former presidents have said to him that they wish that they had built a wall. Do you I recall President Obama ever one. saying that? I can't think of a single one who said that. We need border security, but that's not the border security we need. 
And on the day he took office, President Biden signed a proclamation stating that, quote, building a massive wall that spans the entire southern border is not a serious policy solution. That we should know today's action does not do that. It's a 20-mile section. Nevertheless, it is very different than what President Biden campaigned on. So he's not going to finish the wall. He's going to build a 20-mile section. They'll argue that's what's been appropriated. There's no more. And then he's now filing, following the law. And so you're going to see this debate. He did it because he suddenly has seen the problems in the Democrat cities, the Democrat Party, uh, excuse me, mayors and governors, some of the pressure. And so he's finally buckled. It's not what happened. Joe Biden's about Joe Biden. Joe Biden's about power. That's why they're getting this message. Do you think it works? No. Do you want it? No. You have to do it? Yes. Why? Because they passed the damn appropriation. And it's been my point that Congress has passed the appropriation and other immigration laws, past and recent, and he has not complied with them. These are impeachable offenses. And one of his damn lawyers finally whispered in his ear, Joe. They have us on this one. They don't need an inquiry. They don't need subpoenas. They don't need depositions. It's all in the public record. Uh Uh-oh. We better figure out how to fix that. Here's Jean-Pierre. Cut three. Go. Why does his own Department of Homeland Security secretary say in a public notice, quote, there is presently... I meant four. I'm sorry. As a candidate, President Biden didn't say... There will not be another foot of wall constructed that, uh, except what was appropriated in 2019. He said, there will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration. So something changed. What? You want us to break the law. Is that what you want? You want us to not comply with the law? Now let's stop right there. And I'm a huge fan of Peter Doocy. There it is. It's laid out right in front of you. You want us to break the law. Joe Biden was breaking the law. Joe Biden was violating the Constitution. Joe Biden has committed an impeachable offense because he's still not following the law, but they figure this will be enough. That's why they say their policy is not to finish the wall or even 20 miles of wall. But we have no choice. And so the next question, Peter and everybody else, should be, you did this because you were concerned about an impeachment article, aren't you? Folks, I, I, I want to tell the reporters out there, you don't have to fear me. You don't have to pretend I don't exist. I know most of you despise me, and I despise most of you. But sometimes the information I provide, if not all the time, is very useful. I'm telling you why they did this. And they're kind of telling you, but they don't use the I word. They're kind of telling you. He's breaking the law if he doesn't do this. He's been breaking the law. Go ahead. I'm, I'm but you want, about, but you want us to not comply it. with the law. You want us to not be in administrations that follow the law. You guys do law. this all the time. The student, loans, uh, the student loan forgiveness program, uh, you went to court to fight for that. If this is such a problem, building 20 miles of wall, why not just go to court? We went to Congress. The Congress appropriates why the funding. Why not Congress, fight them more? Congress appropriates Okay, so the let's fund- stop here. He should be impeached for that. That is defying a Supreme Court ruling. He should be. But here he has a statute 
a law, an appropriation. Not a ruling that they figure they can try and get around, and they shouldn't. But this is black and white. And they know it. And I know it. And I'm saying it over and over again. And the media would know it if they had enough integrity to listen to what I'm telling them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you been waiting to buy gold as an investment? Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I didn't want to make a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or 401k and want to buy physical gold to diversify your investment, eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, get the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. To get your free IRA company integrity checklist today, text LEVIN to 68592. That's L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Now, I trust Augusta Precious Metals and invested myself. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company for yourself and see if you agree. To get your free gold IRA company integrity checklist today, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Text data message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at Augusta Precious Metals. Listen to this report and I'll answer the question. Cut five, go. What specific law will the administration be breaking if funds appropriated for the border wall are not used, especially because the funds are go unused all the time? I and mean, why not let it go unused this time? Well, look, I'm not going to speak to uh, the law. I would have to. But I will to- speak to the law. In this case, these funds were specifically allotted for a specific statutory purpose. The Biden administration goes back to Congress and says, look, we don't want to do this. Let's let's make or we ask you, let's make the money available for the purposes. Congress says no. We're not talking about a fungible expense for something that in general terms, you have a history here where they actually went back to Congress, tried to get the language changed. Congress says no. And he ignores it in violation of the Constitution. He ignores it. And so that's why they moved quickly when a little birdie on TV was whispering impeachment. Have you been waiting to buy gold as an investment? Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I didn't want to make a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or 401k and want to buy physical gold to diversify your investment, eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, get the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. To get your free IRA company integrity checklist today, text LEVIN to 68592. That's L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Now, I trust Augusta Precious Metals and invested myself. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company for yourself and see if you agree. To get your free gold IRA company integrity checklist today, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Text data message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at Augusta Precious Metals. 
You're listening to Denali, the great one. The great one. And you can call in now, 877-381-3811. Let me uh, correct myself and cite the correct section of the Constitution, which is Article 2, Section 3. It's called the Take Care Clause. And it prohibits the president from refusing to honor, defend, and enforce federal laws, even laws he doesn't like. And he was in violation of that. He still is on other grounds, but this was the low-hanging fruit. Because they specifically went back and tried to get Congress to change the appropriation in the appropriation language, and Congress did not. And he still violated it. Until today. Because last weekend, I don't remember if it was my Saturday or Sunday show, I walked through this as an impeachable offense. The violation of immigration laws. Article 1 of the impeachment uh, uh, list, I said. It should be the first article. Because there's no investigation necessary. None. He either did or did not comply with federal law. And he did not. Case closed. So they moved quickly now. Because they know I'm right. I mean, Fox, on radio, repeatedly. So they know I'm right, and they think they have fixed it. But they haven't completely, because they're violating other immigration laws. We're going to have Jim Jordan on the program next hour. He's running for speaker. He would like our support. He is my support. And, uh, of course, all this backfired on Hakeem Jeffries, but that's okay. And uh, I suspect he won't do that much that differently than McCarthy did. And I hope you'll watch my Saturday and Sunday shows, because I'm going to discuss this at great length. Not 100% of both shows, but particularly the Sunday show. You're going to learn things that occurred behind the scenes. You're going to learn some facts that you never knew before. Because you know I dig in. Now, CNN's Caitlin Collins, who I despise, had Nancy Mace on her program, who I despise. Nancy Mace loves to be on CNN, MSNBC, Fox. She'll go anywhere. Late at night, she can be found under a, a tall nightlight in the street, talking to herself. Nancy Mace is a head case, in my humble opinion. She's a chameleon. She voted against McCarthy because he was too conservative. She wanted some kind of an abortion bill on the floor. She wanted some kind of gun control on the floor. And of course, she's fundraising as a result. Now, here she is. A complete fraud. One of the eight. Oh, yes, those eight. They're the most conservative. They're going to save the country. Cut eight, go. The establishment is coming after me. I've had a lot of threats about my fundraising. I'm asking people to go to my website at nancymace.org. Wait, to wait, help. You are the establishment. What the hell are you talking about? You're a rhino. Rhino, rhino, neocon. Go ahead. To, to show their support because there, there are yeah. folks that are coming after me tonight. I'm glad you brought that up because back in January when there were the marathon votes for Kevin McCarthy to get this job, he was fighting to take the gavel. This is something that you said. Mm-hmm. 
Matt Gates is a fraud. Every time he voted against Kevin McCarthy last week, he sent out a fundraising email. Uh, what you saw last week was a constitutional process diminished by those kinds of political actions. Of course, now here we are in October. You and Congressman Gates are, are in agreement on at least ousting McCarthy. You were on a podcast together today. You yourself the have been irony, fundraising off that vote. How do you mm -hmm. how do you explain that to, to now? Well, I have not been fundraising off of this every step of the way. I made Stop. my decision. Nobody said you were. But at the high point, you were. And everybody has the email. In other words, you're sleazy. You said that Gates is a liar. Then you attacked him. That's what you said. Go ahead. I, I made the decision to fundraise over the last 24 hours because of the threats that I have received over fundraising and money drying up, which is why I need help. The Wait a minute, you got threats uh, that people might not support you, so you're fundraising off the vacating the chair? Can you wait a week? Go ahead. Establishment is coming after me. I've got you are the establishment moron, and you always have been. The establishment's coming after you. You should be defeated and be replaced with a real conservative. So should Andy Biggs, Mister Anti Convention of States, who blocked it in the state senate. One man. He's used to one man rule. This Andy Biggs. Ken Buck, another fraud, Liz Cheney wannabe. Couldn't even vote to deny funding to drag queens at the Pentagon. And he's Mr. Fiscal Conservative. Matt Rosendale, man from Maryland, pretends he's from Montana. That's fine. Carpetbagger, it happens. But says he's glad. He prayed for only six or seven Republican majority in the House. Why? So he could control the House. So all of you who voted for conservatives or center-right candidates who lost, Rosendale's happy. You happy with your Democrat representative? Are we the only ones here on the Mark Levin show and you in the audience who understand that the Democrat Party is evil, that it hates us? Apparently so. I assume Rosendale's going to run for the Senate in Montana. That's the word. Is he going to run as a Republican? Why would he run as a Republican? Why would he run as a Republican? I don't understand it. And why should Republicans and conservatives be loyal to him? Maybe we should pray to ingest a number enough of the Senate to have the majority without this reprobate. And you're going to learn Sunday of the lies that were told on the floor of the House. I've spent a lot of time on this. And among others, we're going to have Tom Massey on the program, who was in all the negotiations, all the discussions, and we're going to rip the veneer off this once and for all. I've heard enough of her. She's a fake and a fraud and a phony. The establishment's after me. The establishment. You are the establishment, lady. You are the establishment. It's funny. Funny how they play games, isn't it? Then there's this one that I want to get taken care of right now. Mehdi Hassan on the Morning Joe today. Mehdi, yes. Mehdi, it's mommy. Yes, mommy. What is it? I'm on the Morning Joe show. Please keep it down. 
Get out of my camera view. Mehdi Hassan. I think this guy is even a lawyer, but I'm not sure. Cut six, go. This is also the week that Donald Trump did an interview with the right wing network where he said immigrants are poisoning the blood of this country. Say that which again. Is straight say, that, up. say that again. Say that hey, again. Hey, Immigrant- hey, say that again. Say it again. Say it again. Say it. Ask. Ask the little girl, 11 years old, in a small town in the Midwest, 11 years old, that was raped repeatedly by illegal immigrants, Joe. You want me to say that again and again? That's the problem with open borders, Joe. Ask the parents who've lost children or young adults as a result of the fentanyl. The materials given by the communist Chinese to the Mexican cartels, like are shipped over our border by the tons and have killed 100,000 Americans every damn year. Say it again. Say it again. What about all the women being raped and sold into sex trades and slavery? What about all the children missing and also raped? What about them, Joe? Say it again. Say it again. Mehdi Hassan, say it again. How much criticism have you heard about Biden? And the inhumanity that he's unleashed on the southern border on MSNBC by Mehdi Hassan or Joe Scarborough or any of the other nitwits and halfwits there. Say it again. Say it again. Go ahead. This is also the week that Donald Trump did an interview with a right wing network where he said immigrants are poisoning the blood of this country. Say that which again. Is straight say, that, up. say that again. Say that he said again. Immigrants, undocumented immigrants right. to this country, right. said on the national pulse, are poisoning the blood of this country. Many, I, up I'm not mind-cast. really good in history and most You're of You're not very I... good in uh, English. You're not very good at anything. Go ahead. Learn from listening to Kevin McCarthy exit speeches on on, on, on Nazi Germany and uh, uh, but that sounds vaguely familiar. Straight up Nazi talking point. No, you know what? It should sound familiar. It should sound very familiar. But Joe Scarborough is too much of a pr- ick. I'll say ick, and his sidekick too. To tell you who the party of the Nazis and the neo-Nazis are in this country and always have been. There was Franklin Roosevelt. When you read my book, The Democrat Party Hates America, this is why I'm saying it's a central reading, because you can respond to this. It's Franklin Roosevelt, who in the 1920s talked about the admixture and intermixing of races particularly Asians with Europeans. It doesn't turn out well, he said, quote-unquote. Oh, well, that's the 20s and 30s. He grew out of that. Oh, really? When he was president of the United States? He had his staff hire an archaeologist who did a study because Roosevelt wanted to know again about the admixture and intermixture of races. Why did he care? He cared a lot. A lot. Talk about Nazis and neo-Nazis. And they talk about McCarthy. These people are sick. But they don't talk about the Kennedy clan. They don't talk about Joseph Kennedy Sr., who was ambassador to Great Britain, passing messages through the back door to the Third Reich. 
and who as a Hollywood mogul was a huge anti-Semite. Nazis, Joe, what do you think? Or Franklin Roosevelt during his great new deal that prevented hundreds of thousands of Jews who were fleeing Nazi Germany and Europe, fleeing certain gas chambers, ovens, bullets to the back of the head were denied entry. Even though the cap for Jews, they had capped for different parts of the world, capped for different ethnicities, not only was it met, it wasn't even close to being met. What's that all about? So they'll talk about Trump as a Nazi. Trump is a Nazi. The greatest friend Israel, the only Jewish state on the face of the earth has ever had in the White House. Trump is a Nazi. With Jewish grandchildren, a Jewish son-in-law, a Jewish daughter who converted to Orthodox Judaism. But Trump's a Nazi. And the Democrat Party, did they call Omar a Nazi? Did they call Talib a Nazi? And the other Marxist pigs in the Democrat Party? Never. Never. Say it again. Say it again, Mark. That's why I got to read the book, The Democrat Party Hates America. We need to be able to respond to these bastards, Scarboats, straight up Nazi talking. Well, he and his party should know. He and his party should know. Because that's their history. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you been waiting to buy gold as an investment? Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I didn't want to make a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or 401k and want to buy physical gold to diversify your investment, eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, get the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. To get your free IRA company integrity checklist today, text LEVIN to 68592. That's L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Now, I trust Augusta Precious Metals and invested myself. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company for yourself and see if you agree. To get your free gold IRA company integrity checklist today, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at Augusta Precious Metals Mark, who do you support for speaker? Jim Jordan. We have to fix what Gates and the other reprobates did. Then I'd move quickly. Jim Jordan was one of Kevin McCarthy's lieutenants. Gave a strong speech on the floor. On behalf of him. And I think we can make some significant progress, hopefully with Jim Jordan, if the anarchists, and they're not conservatives. I mean, Nancy Mace is no, I can go down the list, but that's said. Uh, So that's important. What about President Trump? You know, maybe he would take a time. I oppose that. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It has to do with his legal cases and his arguments and running for president. 
it's going to be difficult to make the case that you're not having time to prepare for some of these trials, and at the same time, you're serving as a part-time or temporary Speaker of the House. So my advice to him would be don't. No, don't do it. Um, Run for president. Beat back these cases. That's my advice. Take it or leave it. Nobody's asked for it. But I still think it's important. Adam Kingsinger is out there. Adam Kingsinger is sort of uh, burning the path for Ken Buck to join the Constipated News Network. They have all kinds of reprobate Republicans who they put out there as sort of Potemkin Republicans. There he is with Anderson Cooper, whose highlight of his career was having Stormy Daniels on. Remember that big get? Oh, that was a get. I got it. I got it. I got it. All a bunch of boobs, if you ask me. Cut seven. Go. Why do you think Jim Jordan's in the catbird seat? Because it's all about, I think if it was secret ballot, uh, Steve Scalise would win overwhelmingly or anybody but Jim Jordan. But what see, you're going to start- I mean, this guy was elected as a Tea Party candidate against the establishment. Look at him. Look at him. He's a shameless disgrace. Ken Buck is a shameless disgrace. Liz Cheney is a shameless disgrace. The Republican the media love the most, Matt Gates. He's a shameless disgrace. Go ahead. Anderson is on the emails, on the fundraising, uh, fundraising on, you know, other cable right, news. Thank network. you. Not. Low ratings require low IQ, and I think Kingsley fits the bill. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Look, commentators on TV are missing this. The plagiarists and their producers and staff out there who are listening, let's get it straight. There really is no change in the Biden administration policy. They don't believe in the wall. They don't want the wall. People are saying, well, why don't they just admit they were wrong? They're never going to admit they're wrong. They want that wall, excuse me, they want that border open. And so they're saying, we don't believe in it. We don't want it. It's not our policy. They're telling us that. They're not spinning. But what they're not telling you is they're going to go ahead and spend that money for 20 miles of wall because they know the failure to do it is an impeachable offense under the take care provisions of the Constitution. There's two. One is actually in the Constitution and one is in the official oath that's in the Constitution for the President of the United States. It's in two places. Now you're going to start to hear some commentators, some guests repeat that. You're going to start to hear it. 
And most of them don't have any class. That's okay. But you've heard it first. And in fact, the whole world heard it. When was this, um, producer, son, Mr. Producer, Sunday? And we're pulling it. Will I have it next hour or we'll have it tomorrow? But that's what's going on here. And then you have the impeachment clause of the Constitution. There's no way out of it. These arguments that we have other cases where there's appropriations where the money's not spent. First of all, you're not free to impound fund, Nix, uh, funds. Nixon tried that. That became one of the articles of impeachment they drew up against him. And the Supreme Court said you can't. So moving funds around, you got to work your way through the courts in order to do that sometimes. Other times it's very obvious. The legislation provides for it or it doesn't prevent it. That's not this case. This legislation, this statute is very clear. And as I said before, they went back to Congress to try and get it changed. And Congress said no. So that's it. Like I said, you don't need a single subpoena. You don't need a single deposition. You don't even need an impeachment inquiry. That's it. 48 hours ago, the steel for that wall was being sold, 10 cents on the dollar, and what wasn't being sold was rusting in the desert. All of a sudden, they switch around. Oh, they're not fooling us. Oh, now they think the people are... No, that's not it. It's not it. You know, it's funny. It's like Gavin Newsom. I call him oil head for obvious reasons. If we really want to be energy independent, we build a pipeline to his hair. Same with Schumer. Cornrow Schumer. But Gavin Newsom can't stop watching Fox. He says it's BS, but he can't stop watching it. Now they can the White House. Even for the Democrats in power, watching MSNBC and CNN, that's a bridge too far. It's a bridge too far. The only people that watch them religiously are at Mediaite and Media Matters. And if they stop watching it, man, they'll have no ratings whatsoever. Particularly Scarborough. But that said, they're monitoring Fox and they're monitoring talk radio. That's what they do. And I'm telling you, once we get the audio up for this, I will play it for you. And the student loan issue still is an impeachable offense. Yes, it is. But the lowest of the low-hanging fruit is immigration. It's still immigration, not just the wall. They figured they could do this and they really have not changed their policy. So when guests and hosts ask themselves relentlessly over and over again, why don't they just apologize and say, we're fixing this? Because they're not going to apologize because they like their policy, but they have to spend that money the way they are directed to spend that money. Because to fail to comply With that immigration law, that spending requirement is an impeachable offense under the take care clause and and his oath of office. Now you know more than everybody else on TV and radio. Everybody. 
They go. They, they have it completely wrong. So there you have it. And this is huge. Really big. And unfortunately, I would have talked about it yesterday, but the gang of anarchists have distracted the whole nation, particularly the conservative movement. CBS is Catherine Herridge, and she's very good. On Twitter, on a video yesterday, I want you to listen to this. This is very important. Cut 12, go. The Republican-led House Ways and Means Committee has released hundreds of new documents from the Hunter Biden investigation. And I want to walk you through Exhibit 202 and 203. Exhibit 202 is an email from August of 2020. It was sent by Prosecutor Leslie Wolf to senior FBI and IRS investigators who are drafting a search warrant. Wolf tells them to keep the scope narrow and limited to potential violations of foreign lobbying laws, or FARA, and to remove references to political figure one. So who is political figure one? Well, that's explained in Exhibit 203. It's heavily redacted. Stop. Who is political figure one? That's heavily redacted. And that the assistant U.S. attorney said, take political figure one out of your referral. Who is political figure number one? Go ahead. Political figure one as former Vice President Joe Biden. There you go. Political figure one. So here's an act of obstruction by the Department of Injustice controlled by the Biden regime and their mob boss, Meritless Garland. An assistant U.S. attorney who says, take Joe Biden out of there. And then heavily redacted, so the House committee responsible for looking into this particular aspect, the Ways and Means Committee, won't be able to figure it out. But they did figure it out. Go ahead. IRS whistleblowers have alleged that they were blocked from following evidence that may have led to President Biden. Now stop there. So why isn't there a special counsel? IRS senior investigative personnel an assistant U.S. attorney now we have a document that links Joe Biden directly links him to what? that they wanted to look into this and the assistant U.S. attorney working for Marilis Garland the mob lawyer was so concerned about it, she says, take that out of there. Take it out of there. Because they wanted to track down Joe Biden's ties. No, 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 take that out of there. Take that out. Now, compare that to the way Donald Trump's treated. And let's dust off the Ku Klux Klan law and the Espionage Act used by Woodrow Wilson to lock up his uh, political... You see what I mean? Go ahead. Special Counsel David Weiss and the Justice Department, who declined to comment. Weiss says he's working independently from the Justice Department. President Biden and Hunter Biden have denied any wrongdoing in the case. Now, all of that got lost. 
because of the Gang of Eight anarchists. All that got lost. Did you see this? Did you hear this before? Most of you have not. I had not until Mr. Producer dug it up. This should be the marquee headline news of the day. But it's not. It's on page 112. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Now, you know what company is looking out for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it? This is great news and for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and is including a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Now, if you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't pulled the trigger, take a look again. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk text and a 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month, folks. This is why I love Pure Talk that also happens to be veteran-owned and only hires the best customer service team right here in America. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Now, pound 250 and say Mark Levin to make the switch to Pure Talk, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, dial pound 250, say Mark Levin, and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. Welcome back, America. It's a pleasure to have our friend Jim Jordan on the program. Jim Jordan, you announced in really a very strong letter. I thought it was very, uh, very compelling that you are running for speaker. So I have a question for you, my friend. Sure you want that job? Well, I, to be honest, Mark, uh, I had the job I wanted, which was chairing the Judiciary Committee and, and doing, the, doing the oversight work we were doing. But uh, there are two fundamental questions here. Uh, question number one is who can unite the conference um, and bring our team together so that we can stop where the left wants to take the country? Um, and then, frankly, who can go tell the American people what we're doing and why it's important? And I, I think I can do that. If, if I didn't, I wouldn't run. I would, I would do the job that I wanted to do. But someone has to be able to put our team together and, frankly, go tell conservative Americans, Republicans, and independents and Democrats – why we don't want to go where the left, which now controls the other party, is taking the nation. And um, that is a slightly different, I think, part of this, uh, a role for the speaker to, to be out there talking in, in, in those ways. But I think that's important, uh, particularly in divided government, where it's, it's tough to get anything across the finish line. Do you think uh, people like these eight, or sometimes it's five, sometimes it's 21 and so forth, do you think they'll... They'll understand what's been done, and they'll understand how, in so many ways, they derailed, but you and others had negotiated and supported, and that they got to get their act together now, and and as Chip Roy likes to say, sometimes we need to accept victory? I think so. I, I, I really do. Um, because if we don't, if we can't come together, and I think we can, and I'm think, I think I'm the one guy who can do that. I mean, right now I've got support from people like Scott Perry, the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, to Jeff Van Drew, who four years ago was a Democrat and then switched parties, uh, and a bunch of folks in between. So uh, I think I can bring us together. But if we don't, uh, where the left's going to take us is dangerous. And maybe just as importantly, what happens to the Congress? If we don't come together and elect a speaker with 218 Republican votes, 
then it's going to be some kind of, you know, coalition government and some kind of power sharing arrangement. And frankly, if that's the case and it's some Republican who's got a bunch of Democrat support or some Democrat with some Republican support, um, I don't think Jim Jordan's chairman of the Judiciary Committee anymore. I don't think we can we can do the subpoenas and the depositions and and and, and the transcribed interviews that we've been doing. The, the, the work we've been doing where the Washington Post had a story that just uh, earlier this week that said the, quote, misinformation, disinformation industry is, is scaling back because of the efforts of Republicans coming after what they were doing, how they were censoring America. I don't think we can do those things. So the alternative is if we can't work together and, and focus on, a, on, on getting things done in a, in, a, in a common sense way, I think it's really bad where we go. Now, um, there are other candidates who've announced, uh, since you issued your letter, Steve Scalise being among them. You know what you're doing. Your surrogates know what they're doing. Is it looking pretty good, or is it too early to tell? No, I think it's looking good. Uh, I really do. Um, like I say, we're getting, we got, we got chairmen who are for me. We got people, in, you know, good, just good conservative Republicans in the middle of our conference who are great people who are supporting me. We got, we got uh, 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 Jeff Gerald, uh, Scott Fitzgerald, excuse me, from uh, Wisconsin, who was, you know, ran the assembly up there. Uh, we got all kinds of folks who are, who are supporting us. So I, I feel really good about the, the momentum we have, the people who are making phone calls for us. Uh, I feel really good about that. And um, does it help when somebody like me or does it hurt up there endorses you for this or it's irrelevant? It's just important for the audience to know. Of course it helps. I mean, you're one of the biggest voices and, and respected conservative um, uh, and in and, and, and your, your legal background and your legal mind, of course it helps. So uh, that, is, that is tremendous. And uh, uh, all, all those things help because, again, we're, try, we're not only trying to unify the conference, but trying to unify the conservatives. Because there's, there's a little bit of split, a little bit of a fissure out there uh, with conservatives. And I, I don't think that, that should be the case. And I feel like I can I can help bring that together as well as the uh, the Republican members of the, of the conference. Mm-hmm. And this vote is taken Tuesday afternoon, evening, morning or what? Yeah, it's next week. Uh, we got a candidate forum on Monday. The vote will be Tuesday. Um, but I want to be clear. I don't think we, 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 we can't go to the floor and have what we had in January. We got to mm-hmm. have a candidate who can get 218. I think we got to have 218 members, Republican members, who understand the strategy on how we're going to deal with the the end of the appropriations, this, this short-term funding bill we have that runs through November 17th. we got to have agreement on all that uh, if, if before we go to the floor. And I've been talking about what I think needs to be done on, on that. I, I do think we need to pass this bipartisan bill that's, that's called the No Shutdown Act. Take this shutdown politics and these shutdown scenarios and the crisis. Take that all off the table and say, you know what? If we don't get our work done, then I like what Senator Langford said. He said, if you don't get your classwork done in school, you stay after school and you do it. That's what, that's what we should do here. If we're not going to get our, our work done, then the government stays funded at flat levels. You flatline funded, but you stay here round the clock, seven days, and do your work. That's what the American people have to do. Why shouldn't the United States Congress function under the same rule? It's a good common sense measure. But we should send that over there. It's a Senate bill, but we should pass it in the House. If I'm Speaker, we'll, we'll, we'll work on passing that and getting it over there, and go take the case to the American people. That's Politics is a game of persuasion. you got to be willing to go tell the American people what you're doing, why it matters, and how it helps them. 
And we should do that. And then we should focus on the border. Everyone knows Democrats, independents, Republicans all know how bad the border situation is. For goodness sakes, Eric Adams is in Latin America as we speak trying to deal with some of this because the president won't. So let's focus on those kind of things. That's how you that's how you win in uh, in this political game that we're in. And the president has announced, Jim Jordan, that uh, they're going to go ahead and build another 20 miles of the wall because he's required to under appropriations. And uh, people are very confused about this on TV. They're saying things like they reverse course. And he says, no, I don't support the wall, but I have to do it. You watch Life, Liberty and Levin, you tell me, Saturday and Sunday nights. I spent an entire monologue talking about impeachment. And I said, you don't even need to investigate his violation of the immigration laws. There are two provisions, the take care provision in the Constitution and in his oath. And he's violating it. He is compelled, including not just by the Constitution, but by the Supreme Court and past decisions to comply with statutory law, whether he agrees with it or not. You don't need subpoenas. You don't need depositions. You don't need an inquiry. He's violating our immigration laws. That's impeachable. Article number one. And then all of a sudden. We better go ahead and spend that money for that 20 miles of wall. This is something I think Jamie Comer and others need to think about. I'm not against digging into the, the finance. Of course not. Yeah. But there really yeah. is some low-hanging fruit, Jim. Yeah, good, good point. And, and it's, it's all been done, as you point out, intentionally. They intentionally made a decision not to fund the wall and go against the law. They intentionally made a decision to get rid of the Remain in Mexico policy. They intentionally made a decision to release migrants into the country, 11,000 a day. So it's intentional. You're exactly right. I wish you all the best. I really do. Thank you, Uh, Under these circumstances, I think you would be the best of the candidates who are interested. So God bless you and and keep at it. All right. Thank you. Jim Jordan. I'll be right back. Now, you know a company is looking out for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it? This is great news and for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and is including a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Now, if you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't pulled the trigger, take a look again. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk text and now 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month, folks. This is why I love Pure Talk that also happens to be veteran-owned and only hires the best customer service team right here in America. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Dial pound 250 and say Mark Levin to make the switch to Pure Talk, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, dial pound 250, say Mark Levin, and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. Mark Levin, America's tyranny hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. I want to read you something. They talk about neo-Nazism and Nazism, and this is why it's important that we must inform ourselves And unfortunately, even most people who go on TV and run for office and get elected, and most scholars don't really know the history of the Democrat Party in any significant way. So I wanted to read a little bit something to you. And I want to encourage you, the holidays are coming on, to grab your copies of this book. And even before. Raphael Medoff. 
A great scholar explains that the series of articles from 1923 to 1925, Franklin Roosevelt railed against what he called non-assimilable immigrants from the Far East. Japanese immigrants are not capable of assimilation into the American population. He says anyone who has traveled in the Far East knows that the mingling of Asiatic blood with European or American blood produces in nine cases out of ten the most unfortunate results. Who was it that rounded up 120,000 Japanese Americans, 70,000 of whom were American citizens? That was Franklin Roosevelt, Executive Order 9006. And in the Korematsu decision in 1944, the Roosevelt Pact Supreme Court upheld it. Upheld it. Roosevelt's first appointment to the Supreme Court of the United States was a man named Hugo Black, who'd been for two years or so the lawyer for the Klan in Alabama. They throw this word Nazi around. Of course they do. It's the Democrat Party today and the Biden administration today. And the radicals on the courts, particularly the Supreme Court, who believe that there's too many Asian-American students or applicants for our Ivy League schools. The Ivy League schools who want to resegregate their schools. Six to two decision. In his concurring opinion in that case, Clarence Thomas reminds us that Harvard, Yale, and Princeton instituted a similarly racist admissions policy in the 20s against Jews. During the same period, Thomas notes that Harvard played a prominent role in the eugenics movement, according to then-President Abbott Lawrence Lowell, excluding Jews from Harvard, who would help maintain admissions opportunities for Gentiles and perpetuate the purity of the Brahmin race, quote-unquote. Quote-unquote. So the Supreme Court's decision, with the three conservatives and the three moderate Republicans, six to two, six to three in another case, but they were joined, was widely condemned by Biden and the Democrats. Let's look back again, as I write in Chapter 2. When Roosevelt's civil rights record toward blacks is scrutinized, it is not, as generally described by historians and professors, supportive of the New Deal and Roosevelt's socialist economic policies. In fact, it is deeply troubling. For example, Roosevelt established the Federal Housing Administration in 1934. It was the first big New Deal program. Its ostensible purpose was to ensure mortgages, thereby promoting home ownership. But it furthered racial segregation by specifically denying insurance in and around black neighborhoods. This is your New Deal, leftists. Incredibly, quote, the FHA was subsidizing builders who were mass producing entire subdivisions for whites. With the requirement that none of the homes be sold to African Americans. The term redlining comes from the development by the New Deal, by the federal government, of maps of every metropolitan area in the country. And those maps were color-coded, first the Homeowners Loan Corporation, and then the FHA, and then adopted by the Veterans Administration. And these color codes 
were designate, designed to indicate and designated where it was safe to insure mortgages. And anywhere where African Americans lived, anywhere where African Americans lived nearby, were colored red to indicate to appraisers that these neighborhoods were too risky to insure mortgages, hence redlining. Roosevelt infamously and unceremoniously slighted the great black Olympian Jesse Owens. White athletes who had competed in the 1936 Berlin Olympics were later invited to meet the president at the White House. Owens, the superstar of those Olympics in Berlin, was not. Owens complained that he was insulted. Asked if he was snubbed by Hitler at the Olympics, whom he had not meant. Owens replied, Hitler didn't snub me, it was FDR who snubbed me. He said the president didn't even send me a telegram. Owens campaigned for Roosevelt's Republican opponent, Alf Landon, when he returned from Europe. Even when the issue was the horror of lynching. You won't hear this on the Joe Scarborough show, because he's a putz. Roosevelt refused to support federal anti-lynching legislation. In 1940, black heavyweight boxing champion Joe Lewis endorsed Roosevelt's Republican opponent, Wendell Wilkie, explaining, quote, If Mr. Wilkie is elected, he has promised in writing to put over the anti-lynching bill. Roosevelt has been in office for eight years and done nothing. Roosevelt feared he would lose Democrat Party's support, especially in the South, and would not gain an unprecedented third term if he backed the anti-lynching bill. So it died, never to be successfully resurrected during the rest of his presidency. In that same year, Roosevelt refused to reintegrate the armed forces, which Roosevelt had resegregated. The fact is that Roosevelt didn't lift a finger for the black community, author Bruce Bartlett notes, that Roosevelt never used his political capital to do anything meaningful to help blacks. He never spoke to the NAACP or gave a single speech devoted to black concerns and even banned black reporters from White House press conferences. Have you heard any of this anywhere, Mr. Bidus? Raphael Medoff goes further, explaining that Roosevelt's personal prejudice appeared to influence his decision-making as well. He explained that Roosevelt enlisted government resources to advance his ideas on racial engineering. 1942, he commissioned three prominent anthropologists to study, quote, problems arising out of racial admixtures, unquote. A senior White House aide instructed them, the president wishes to be advised what will happen when various kinds of European, Scandinavian, Germanic, French, Belgium, North North Italian, etc., are mixed with a South American-based stock. I'm quoting this. Roosevelt also wanted to know, is the South Italian stock, say Sicilian, as good as the North Italian stock, say Malay, if given equal social and economic opportunity? If 10,000 Italians were to be offered settlement facilities, what proportion of the 10,000 should be Northern Italians and what Southern Italians? Even given all that was on Roosevelt's plate in 1942, he was focused on this. What of Roosevelt's relationship with the Jewish community, which is often believed to have been admirable? He had some prominent Jews advising him as president, Secretary of Treasury as an example, including in his cabinet, but his more complete record respecting Jews has been censored in significant ways, or worse, embellished, even today in books and documentary films. 
In his March 1930, I'll pass this, it's too long about his inaugural speech. But I'll move to this. Roosevelt's purposeful inaction during the Holocaust to assist Jews being slaughtered by the millions was contemptible and unconscionable. Madoff explains, quote, Here's the president who was regarded as a humanitarian, who portrayed himself as the champion of the little man, who had the power to save many Jews from the Holocaust, but who, to quote Fowler Harper, the solicitor general for the Interior Department in the 1940s, would, quote, not lift a finger to help them. This is his own solicitor general of the Interior. He said his was the administration that kept the immigration, quote, as 90% underfilled, 90% meaning it could have saved 190,000 Jews under the existing quotas without changing any of the immigration laws. His was the administration that set planes to bomb German oil factories less than five miles from the gas chambers of Auschwitz, but refused to instruct them to drop bombs on the gas chambers or the railway lines, even after receiving maps and detailed information about what was happening in that camp. His was the administration that refused to pressure the British to open the gates of Palestine so Jews could find refuge there. And what about his State Department? It's state with the decisions about immigration and refugee issues were, were made. Roosevelt nearly always backed the bigots who blocked the migration of Jewish refugees into the United States from Germany and the rest of Europe during the height of the Holocaust. In fact... The U.S. immigration quota from Germany was filled for the first time in 1939 and almost filled in 1940. In all other years of Nazi rule, 1933 to 45, the quota was not filled, not even close. And the person directly in charge of the visa process at state was Samuel Breckenridge Long, whom Roosevelt met and became good friends with when both served in the Woodrow Wilson administration. Long became a major donor to Roosevelt's presidential campaign in 1932 and was previously rewarded with an ambassadorship to Italy. Long's dispatches to Washington from Rome praised the fascist Mussolini regime for its, quote, well-paid streets, dapper black-shirted stormtroopers, and punctual trains. And in his private diary, Long, quote, described Hitler's Mein Kampf as an eloquent eloquent in opposition to Jewry and Jews as exponents of communism and chaos. One of Roosevelt's buddies, who he put at the State Department. Long regularly briefed Roosevelt on his efforts to, support, to suppress Jewish immigration below the level allowed by existing law. In one diary entry from October 1940, Long mentioned meeting with FDR to discuss Quote, the whole subject of immigration, visas, safety of the United States, procedures to be followed, and I found that he was 100% in accord with my ideas. Meaning his anti-Semitism. Not until 1944, when Congress got wind of Long's doings and began to publicly raise concerns, was Long finally demoted and ultimately left the State Department. Throughout his life, Roosevelt made blatantly bigoted private remarks about Jews. Although he is not alone among presidents in this regard, Roosevelt, as Meldoff writes, allowed his prejudices to influence his policies regarding America's response to the persecution of European Jewry. And among other things, Roosevelt blamed Polish Jews for anti-Semitism in Poland, spoke of the understandable complaints of the Germans about the prominence of Jews in some professions, boasted to a colleague, 
sorry, my eyesight's poor, that we know we have no Jewish blood in our veins, helped bring about a quota on Jewish students admitted to Harvard and recommended that Jews be, quote, spread out thin around the world so they would not dominate any particular economy or culture. What do you think, Joe Scarborough? Sounds like a Nazi, doesn't he, America? And there's a hell of a lot more. This is how you respond to the Democrats and the media. The Democrat Party hates America. I want to strongly encourage you to grab your copy. It's very, very important, very important that when these, these pukes, these shameless, classless, low IQ media types project the Democrat Party history onto a Republican or the Republicans or the Democrat Party history onto the country that you know and you tell the person sitting to either side of you when you're watching this on TV or listening to it on the radio, you say that's not true. Let me tell you the facts. That's how tens of millions of us get our country back. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Now, you know what company is looking out for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it? This is great news and for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and is including a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Now, if you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't pulled the trigger, take a look again. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk text and a 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month, folks. This is why I love Pure Talk that also happens to be veteran-owned and only hires the best customer service team right here in America. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Dial pound 250 and say Mark Levin to make the switch to Pure Talk, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, dial pound 250, say Mark Levin, and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. I don't know how to say this without coming across as self-serving, but let me try. The person who earns the least amount on the book is the author. You have a publisher, you have distribution, and you have end and sales, whether it's Amazon, whether it's a bookstore, a warehouse store, and so forth. And why is it? Because they have a lot of employees. Because they have to print the paper, the ink, the covers. They have to transport. They have the box and transfer. There's a lot involved in, from taking a book from my computer and having it wind up in your hands, much more than people realize. And so when people say you promote your book to make money, I promote my book to help save this country. We give an enormous amount of charity in this family, and I'm not going to get into it. But there's a lot easier ways to make a lot more money than this. But I try to use every platform I have to make the case for this country. Whatever the price, whatever the cost, in terms of personal family time. And I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart that the more people who read this book, you don't have to buy a bunch of them, buy one and hand it to somebody. The more we get the word out, 
the real history. And so we stop playing defense when we're under attack. When we explain to our fellow citizens, many of whom are Democrats, who's destroying their country, their livelihood, their community, why they're doing it, that they've always been doing it, that they don't stand for the little guy, they stand on the little guy, that they're the racists and the bigots, and yes, their history is filled with neo-Nazis. We cannot allow them to project their own rotten, stinking, cancerous history on the rest of the country. They're responsible for it. And the Joe Scarboroughs of the world and the other slime balls that he brings on, propagandists for the Democrat Party that hates this country and hates you. They're the grifters. They're the ones who have one job, desperate to earn money. I could retire today. I encourage you strongly. Think about this. Think about this. I tell you all the time, ideas absolutely have consequences. And your voices are crucial. And don't let them lie to you anymore about race, about bigotry, about capitalism and equality. Don't let them lie to you anymore. I'll be right back. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're going to see some magic, right, Mr. Producer, in a little while? You'll see me on Fox while I'm live behind a microphone. Well, that's the way it goes. Everybody asked me, even Jesse asked me during the break, when the hell do you sleep? It's not good, I don't. Not very much. Over the right scoop, they linked to a story from Newsweek in The Blaze. Ready for this one? The FBI is reportedly secretly targeting supporters of former President Donald Trump ahead of the 2024 election, according to a new report. During a three-month investigation, Newsweek spoke to more than a dozen current or former government officials specializing in terrorism. The experts revealed that the FBI is covertly monitoring MAGA Republicans because the domestic intelligence agency suspects that Trump supporters are the greatest threat of violence, possibly even capable of starting a civil war. The in-depth probe reportedly found that the FBI clandestinely created a new category of violent domestic extremists and it intends to target Make America Great Again followers. You know, mega. In October 2022, the FBI created a new subcategory of domestic terrorists labeled AGAAVE, which stands for Anti-Government, Anti-Authority, Violent Extremism. The new subcategory is a threat group that is not anarchist, militia, or sovereign citizen groups, quote, domestic violent extremists who cite anti-government or anti-authority motivations for violence or criminal activity. The new classification is officially defined as, quote, domestic violent extremists who cite anti-government or anti-authority motivations for violence or criminal activity, not otherwise defined, I'm just quoting them, such as individuals motivated by desire to commit violence 
against those with a real or perceived association with a specific political party or faction of a specific political party. And the outlet reported government insiders acknowledged to Newsweek that although they are not named specifically, the A-G-A-A-V-E, other title applies to political violence associated with Trump supporters. And it goes on. The FBI said in a statement to Newsweek, the threat posed by domestic violent extremists is persistent, evolving, and deadly. The FBI's goal is to detect and stop terrorist attacks. And our focus is on potential criminal violations, violence, threats of violence, anti-government, anti-authority, violent extreme, and blah, blah, blah. So I guess they'll be watching Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I guess they'll be watching all these organizations associated with the Democrat Party and the riots of 2020 and the assault on the White House. The assault on a federal courthouse in Portland. Night after night, day after day for over two months. An anonymous senior intelligence official told Newsweek, quote, We've crossed the Rubicon. Trump's army constitutes the greatest threat of violence domestically, politically. That's the reality and the problem set. That's what the FBI, as a law enforcement agency, has to deal with. But whether Trump and his supporters are a threat to national security to the country, whether they represent a threat of civil war, that's a trickier question, they say, and that's for the country to deal with, not the FBI. Well, there you go. From Biden's mouth to the FBI's ears. It's not 9-11 terrorists. It's not fentanyl coming over the border, exported by drug cartels. It's not illegal weapons exported over the border, manufactured in communist China and used by the cartels. It's not the slaughter of 100,000 Americans a year and God knows how many others are maimed and killed and raped with illegal immigration. No. It's MAGA supporters. Not Biden supporters, not Obama supporters, not members of the Democrat Party, essentially Republicans. And this is how autocratic regimes work. Just like this. I'll be right back. Lovin. Welcome back, America. You know, uh, there were two important filings today. One in Washington, D.C., one in Florida dealing with the federal charges against President Trump. And I want to focus right now on the so-called January 6th case, which has nothing to do with insurrection or sedition. It's just a pathetic case. And who better to have on the program to talk about it than Adam Scharf? He's the candidate for Missouri Attorney General. I've been, excuse me, Will Scharf. I've endorsed him. And... Um, it's votescharf.com, votes, S-C-H-A-R-F.com. Well, welcome back to the program. You wrote some very uh, important, I think, analysis, legal analysis, uh, related to uh, the Trump lawyers' following, uh, filings in Washington, D.C. Do you want to explain those, please? Sure. And, and first of all, Mark, it's always great to join you. I appreciate you having me on. Um, as you said, today in Washington, D.C., in, in federal court there, 
President Trump, uh, his lawyers filed a pleading uh, that could result in the dismissal of the entire case against him. I think it should result in the dismissal of the entire case against him. Uh, what his lawyers are arguing is that presidential immunity uh, poses an absolute bar to prosecution here, that because these are acts that were taken while President Trump was in office that fall within the technical legal term as the outer perimeter of his presidential responsibilities, uh, that he cannot be prosecuted for them unless he is first both impeached and convicted uh, by the U.S. House of Representatives in the Senate, which he, of course, uh, was not, in fact, convicted. So it's a really important filing. It's one that I expect will end up in front of the United States Supreme Court, uh, I think potentially pretty soon. Uh, but it's uh, it's an important day. It's a day that could uh, could result in that entire prosecution being thrown out. All right. Let me ask you a few questions. Number one, the judge is Tanya Chutkin, who should have recused herself. Overwhelming case that she's not of the judicial temperament to handle this particular case. So she'll be making the the original ruling on this filing, will she not? That's correct. And, you know, the, the Trump's lawyers have already made the argument for recusal that, that she's, uh, she's not uh, been, let's say, favorably disposed towards. But significantly, uh, immunity motions like this are typically immediately appealable. Uh, so it, the, the normal process for a case like this would be for this motion to be taken. Uh, she issues her ruling on it. And if she were to rule against it, I think there would be grounds for an immediate appeal, an interlocutory appeal, as it's called, up to the D.C. Circuit, uh, where there are some good judges. And I think it would uh, it, it would be, if not favorably received, certainly uh, carefully looked at. Now, if she for the public out here. So if she rules no, I'm not buying that. Can she go ahead with the trial before the appeal is filed and heard? I think President Trump's lawyers would have a very strong ground to request a stay uh, pending final resolution of the issue uh, on immunity. That's how this would work in the case of a a claim of judicial immunity or or legislative immunity. Um, We're in somewhat untested grounds, of course, because no president before in American history has been criminally indicted for acts in office the way that President Trump has been indicted. Uh, But I think his legal team would have a very strong argument uh, for a stay of all proceedings pending final resolution, even if that goes all the way up to the Supreme Court uh, of these presidential immunity issues. Because if it isn't stayed, then what happens, of course, is this trial judge um, basically makes the ultimate decision. I don't mean of guilt and innocence and jail time. I mean the ultimate decision because you're going to go through a full-fledged trial on a matter where you're challenging whether you should go through a full-fledged trial, correct? That's right, and that's why it's so important that uh, this particular motion has been brought when, it, when it's been brought. Uh, you know, we're dealing with issues of immunity. Typically, uh, the courts look at immunity claims, and, and they try to decide that long before you get to trial, uh, long before even trial preparation starts. That's the whole point of of being immune from prosecution in cases like this. Uh, so even if things don't go well in front of the D.C. DC district, uh, I'm hopeful. I know a lot of people who are watching this case closely are hopeful uh, that the D.C. Circuit and potentially the Supreme Court, if it gets there, uh, would issue a stay, would be willing to you know, hold this case over until they at least deal with, uh, with these crucial legal issues. And speaking of the substance of this, we talk about immunity and the outer limits of immunity.
The purpose of this immunity and the outer limits of immunity is so that a president cannot be held criminally liable. And then after he leaves office, look over his shoulder about decisions he made as president of the United States or any prosecutor, any federal prosecutor would view a, an attack on a presidential and a president making decisions as president as fair game, correct? That's exactly right. So in Nixon v. Fitzgerald, which was a case from, I believe, 1982, uh, the court held decisively that a president could not be held civilly liable uh, for official acts that he made while he was in office, Uh, that presidential immunity essentially prohibited anybody uh, from filing lawsuits for damages against the former president uh, for uh, acts that fell within even the outer limits of his presidential responsibilities. Now, again, no president has been criminally prosecuted for acts in office in American history before. So we're in untested legal territory. But I believe and, and the filing that President Trump's lawyers uh, put in front of the court today, I think, makes a very good argument that the same rationale should apply here uh, in criminal cases, that presidents shouldn't be looking over their shoulders potentially years after they leave office about whether their official act could result in, in criminal liability down the road. Let's go to Florida. They filed there and they said, wait, we can't do this trial date. They haven't given us half the classified information they have. They haven't built or presented a skiff with us that we can use that's convenient for us to use. And a number of other things that the government's playing loose and fast with to make it extremely difficult to even prepare for trial. What do you think of that argument? You know, Mark, you know, I'm a, I'm a former federal prosecutor. I did violent crime work in the Eastern District of Missouri in St. Louis, where we have a lot of violent crime. I mean, I've seen pretty open and shut carjacking and bank robbery cases uh, drag on for years. The idea that this case, with already uh, millions of pages of discovery, uh, terabytes and terabytes of video data and other data, uh, including classified information and other sensitive information, the idea that this trial was ever going to be ready uh, for presentation to a jury on the timeline initially set, to me, that was always farcical. Uh, What President Trump's motion uh, today lays out, I think, in great detail, is that DOJ has not turned over all the evidence they would need to present a fair defense for President Trump uh, until they do. The case is obviously not right for trial. Uh, But even if everything had been turned over, the sheer volume of evidence involved in this case uh, requires a much more deliberative process and a later trial date. I think they've asked for a trial date in late November 2024. I think that's eminently reasonable. I think even if they'd asked for much more time than that, it would be eminently reasonable. Uh, And fortunately, there you're in front of Judge Eileen Cannon, who's been a straight shooter so far. The liberal media says she's, you know, some far right uh, conservative. She's not. She's just a a fair, even minded judge. Uh, And I think that that I don't want to make predictions, but I think that motion is well taken. And I think they have a strong argument for delaying that trial until at least November of 2024, as they've requested. And what about in Georgia? You know, former Attorney General Meese filed his own affidavit on behalf of one of the defendants, Joe Clark, the former uh, Department of Justice official, who gave advice uh, as a Department of Justice official regarding the Georgia election and gave advice to the President of the United States, among others. And Attorney General Meese, like others, but he's got some heft. He says... 
this isn't a county or state case. A county or state can seize jurisdiction over federal officials who are making decisions as federal officials that affect a federal election. And so this matter must be presented in federal court. What do you think of that argument? Well, first of all, I think the presidential immunity argument made in in D.C., in federal court in D.C. today, equally applies to the Georgia case against President Trump. Uh, That if these were acts taken within the outer perimeter of the president's responsibilities as president, he should, in my view, be absolutely immune from prosecution. Uh, Notably, though, we're talking about a state versus uh, federal issue here. We're talking about uh, core principles of of separation of powers of our constitutional system. I think the argument made in D.C. applies even more so uh, to the Georgia prosecution against President Trump and the others he's been indicted with there. Uh, I I expect that President Trump's lawyers will be making similar arguments in Georgia. Uh, But at the very least, you know, we are talking about core federalism issues here, core constitutional issues. And I think that needs to underlie really all public conversation in these cases. Do we want any DA in the country to be able to insert themselves into national political processes in this way? Do we want, you know, let's say in the case of Joe Biden, Do we want him making presidential decisions, uh, thinking that, uh, you know, let's say a rural D.A. in Missouri could prosecute him after the fact for those decisions if uh, if we think he got it wrong? We're going to hold Will Scharf over after the bottom of the hour. I want to pursue this further for you, ladies and gentlemen. He's running for attorney general of Missouri. I've endorsed him. He'd be a fantastic attorney general. Vote Sharp, S-C-H-A-R-F dot com. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Mark Levin. The Thunder on the Right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. We're here with Will Scharf, good man, really superb. Superb lawyer, would be a great attorney general for the Show Me State, Missouri. And by the way, when I go to Missouri, don't show me anything if you get my drift. Anyway, it's, <laughs> it is the running for attorney general of Missouri. And you can go to votesharf.com, vote, S-C-H-A-R-F.com. You know, it beats the nutmeg state, which is Connecticut. Like, what do you mean the nutmeg state? Every state has sort of a weird, you know, motto. Anyway, uh, Will Sharf, I want to get a little bit into the uh, general picture here, what's going on in New York with this civil case. It's my understanding you actually have a fraud statute in New York 
where you don't have to actually defraud anybody or actually commit an act of fraud. That is, no damage, no victims, no complainants. And somebody can go through your real estate portfolio and say, no, that should have been assessed this, that should have been assessed that. We're even talking about matters that are long gone, where the loans have been made, they've been paid off, everybody's happy, it's done. The only reason you would pursue a case like that is to try and steal the property, the business from the Trumps to eliminate the inheritance to the kids and maybe even to bankrupt Trump. Isn't that true? Yeah, you know, I think you're touching on the most important issue in that case, Mark, which is that after four years of investigation, after four years of Tish James, the attorney general in New York and her team raking President Trump and raking the Trump organization over the coals, they have yet to identify a single person who was harmed, a single person who says, I made a loan to Trump and I regret that I made a loan to Trump and I lost money on that. There is no victim here. So what they're really doing is in this sort of weird academic way, bringing a claim over valuations that are years old, that are susceptible to any number of different interpretations. And as a result of their interpretation of what President Trump's assets should have been valued at years ago, we're talking a a decade ago, uh, because of their uh, assumptions about what these assets were worth, they're trying to shut President Trump down. They're trying to shut down his businesses. And they're, they're even denying him the right to a jury trial, uh, which is, is core to, uh, to American, American principles, the way the American legal system is supposed to work. It's a crazy case. Tish James came into office. She ran on the platform that she was going to get Trump. And that's what she's been pursuing every day for four years. But I think it's just so important to note that there is no victim here. There is no identified victim. And in light of that, it's just tough to see the rationale other than politics for pursuing this case this aggressively and pursuing this case in the way that they've pursued it. I wonder if there's a constitutional issue here, because you're going to hold somebody liable. You're going to set up a a kind of uh, management of his assets, and under the law, as I understand it, uh, the attorney general herself would control the assets. You're going to prevent them from doing any business in New York State. You're going to pull all their certificates, prevent them from getting licenses, and then you're going to fine them a quarter of a billion dollars. It seems to me, it seems to me that to, to be able to use a statute like this, which, by the way, is my understanding is it's almost never used that uh, there's got to be some constitutional defense, no? Sure. So, Mark, as you know, I mean, you're, you're a more experienced lawyer than I am. Uh, there are two basic kinds of claims in American courts, uh, legal claims, which are claims for, for damages, uh, and then equitable claims, uh, which seek relief from courts. That would be uh, injunctions, uh, things that aren't sort of damages related, but you're, you're requesting the court to intervene in a particular situation in a particular way. Now, legal claims, if they had brought a claim for damages against President Trump for $250 million, uh, that would be subject, uh, in most cases, to a right to a jury trial. Uh, Tish James and her team have claimed from the start that what they're actually seeking is equitable relief only, that they're seeking disgorgement uh, of unjust profits or money that President Trump shouldn't have had. And that's how they've made this claim uh, not susceptible uh, to uh, to claims for a jury trial, and that's why they're arguing essentially that this uh, this judge in Goron uh, has sort of absolute control over the case. 
But I believe, and a lot of other legal comment, commentators believe, uh, that what they're actually doing is disguising legal claims as equitable claims in order to prevent this from appearing even in front of a New York jury, that that's how weak they believe their case is against President Trump, that they're not even willing to let it go in front of uh, what you would think would be a pretty hostile jury uh, in New York uh, in terms of for, for President Trump. Um, but this is a very, very strange case. Its proceedings have obviously been very, very strange so far. Uh, the appellate division of the New York courts has already smacked down this trial judge at least once as this case has progressed. And I expect that there are going to be numerous grounds for appeal of every decision along the way as we go forward. And for most of these cases, unfortunately, you have to wait for an appeal or force an interlocutory appeal. And so they try and get their, uh, you know, their scarlet letter caved, uh, carved into his forehead. So on the way to appeal, people could say, oh, there, he's a fraudster on properties. Oh, there, he's a convicted felon on uh, January 6th. Oh, there, look at that. He violated the Espionage Act. Isn't that the game that's going on here? You know, Mark, President Trump has said consistently that all of this, all of these legal proceedings against him are really about election interference, that what the the D.C. prosecution, the Florida prosecution, uh, the state prosecutions in New York and Georgia, and now this Tish James civil action against him, what this is really all about is an effort to prevent him from running for president because they're just so terrified of him taking office again. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think there's a lot of evidence that supports that theory of the case, that there is no reason for these cases uh, to be brought on the timeline that they've been brought on and in the way that they've been brought, unless there's a bigger picture. And I believe that that bigger picture uh, is election interference, is making sure that President Trump's efforts to take back the White House are handicapped by his having to, as we've seen in the last couple of days, just sit in court defending himself against, in some cases, outrageous allegations. And, you know, everyone sees it. Everyone knows it. And yet it's celebrated by the media. It's celebrated by the Democrat Party. It's obviously being executed by Democrat district attorneys, and it's being executed by a Democrat-appointed phony special counsel. So this is really a cabal, and this is taking place it is election interference like we've never seen in American history. We don't even have any, any uh, criminal trials yet. We don't have any convictions yet. That's where they're headed. And um, we have judges who are, let me put it to you this way. I think the judiciary is destroying its own reputation with these cases, don't you? Yeah, you know, Mark, uh, you, you, I, I read your most recent book. It's outstanding. All your listeners should buy it if they haven't already. Uh, you know better than anybody that all the left believes in is advancing more leftism. They don't believe in the Constitution. They don't believe in core American principles. Their end goal is just advancing more leftism. And they're willing to run roughshod over people's rights, whether it's you and me or, you know, common man in the street or whether it's President Trump. Uh, they're willing to run roughshod over people's rights. They're willing to run roughshod over the Constitution, over the separation of powers. They just don't care they just want, want to make sure, excuse me, that nobody can get in the way of advancing more leftism, which is their ultimate goal. And that's what's so dangerous about modern leftism. The people of Missouri have a wonderful opportunity to elect you as attorney general. I know there's an incumbent attorney general. He gets a lot of publicity and so forth. 
But you are really a standout candidate, and you'd be a standout lawyer, and you'd be a standout attorney general. And folks, if you want to help him, if you're in Missouri or not, Mr. Producer, let's put this on our sites, please. It's votescharf.com, vote, S-C-H-A-R-F.com. You can hear how intelligent he is, what a great lawyer he is, how he breaks things down in plain English simply so everybody can understand. And I just wish you all the best, all the best, Will. You take care of yourself. I appreciate it, Mark. Thanks so much for having me on, and thanks for everything that you do, just uh, to telling truth to the people of America and fighting back against the mainstream narratives that are ultimately going to get us all killed. So, so thank you. Yeah, amen. God bless you, brother. Take care of yourself. That's a really good guy, really good candidate. I wonder if Matt Rosendale will be praying for his defeat, Mr. Producer. Before we take the break, I want to play a clip for you from Hillary Rotten Clinton at Georgetown University today. Because you might be shocked. She and I may have something in common. Cut 13, go. You know, people from all walks of life are mounting a massive uh, resistance to autocracy, uh, to the oppression of women and girls, to irresponsible big tech companies whose platforms are absolutely rife with misogyny and sexism and viral attacks on women in the public sphere. You know what's amazing about this? At first I thought she was talking about her husband. The good old days when Bill Clinton was raiding the intern pool. Remember all that? Misogyny, sexism, viral attacks on women, physical attacks on women. She's very upset about that, and she's married to Bill Clinton. Isn't that kind of a kind of a hoot? And then, of course, the Democrat Party won't even define a woman. Hillary has no problem with that. The Democrat Party's all for destroying women's sports. Oh, yes, transgendering men, quote-unquote. Destroying swim teams across the country, and on and on and on. Yes, Hillary Clinton won't speak out against that, not in the least. Why? Because she's a liar, and she is a, a hemorrhoid on the body politic. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Yeah, during a break, I think a lot about what we've discussed, and now I go back to the first hour. Reading about Franklin Roosevelt, the FHA, and these, the redlining to prevent blacks from getting subsidies or support from developers that were given to white homeowners under the New Deal and the Democrats. The Democrats created redlining in the New Deal, the FHA. But here's the other point. And now the Democrat-run cities are reinstituting redlining by allowing their crime in the streets. And so small businesses and large franchisees are leaving, making it much more difficult for people in the inner city, particularly black people, to get access to medicines, toiletries, basics, fast food, and so forth and so on. Because the Democrats, it's open season on these businesses. And you have to be nuts 
to keep businesses and communities like this run by the Democrats who will not prosecute these people. And so the other people who are law-abiding and live in these areas and stuck and can't get the hell out, they're suffering and they're going to suffer more. Maybe that new program they're going to put on at ESPN with Kendi, Kendi X, maybe they'll talk about that. No, they won't. They won't. You see, that's not white racism. That's anarchy. In many ways, it's black-on-black crime. And you know what's interesting? The vast majority of blacks in these communities have no voice. They're not heard. Black athletes are heard. Black activists are heard. Black actors are heard. But you have people in these communities who are stuck in lousy schools, who are stuck in crime-ridden neighborhoods, who are now going to find it incredibly inconvenient to get basics because of the Democrat Party re-redlining of these communities. And who speaks for them? Don't tell me ESPN and LeBron James. Don't tell me Kaepernick. Don't tell me Oprah Winfrey. They get out of these communities as fast as they can, and they don't turn back. Oh, they'll talk. They'll talk. But these communities are crumbling. They're crumbling. And it's a damn shame. And for many, crime is the only way out. That's all they know. That's all they see. And because the businesses have to leave to survive, and the people who own them have to leave to physically survive, it's harder and harder to keep kids out of crime. It's a cycle. Law and order works. School choice works. Capitalism works. If you destroy all three or prevent them from functioning, you have poverty, you have crime, and you have Democrats. Democrat parties that run these cities into the ground don't give a damn about the people. I'm very hopeful that you'll go to Amazon.com, that you'll go to a retail store other than Barnes & Noble and get your copies of The Democrat Party Hates America. And we salute all you heroes out there. We thank you. I am blessed by the most fantastic, loyal, intelligent audience of any audience. And that's you. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. God bless. 